As I've been reading a lot on prayer, one of the authors described the book of Job as being Job processing his pain through prayer. And that phrase really took me back to reread and to go back through the book of Job. And so last night I just kind of did a, a quick read back through the book of Job. It doesn't take that long to read through that book and to see the conversation in this, this thing that Job has got going with the Lord. And, and um, I just want to be honest with you, prayer is, is messy. If you want to learn about prayer because you think it's neat and it's just pristine, and, and if your idea of learning about prayer is learning how to say the right words at the right time, to impress God with lofty thoughts or, or these religious words, then maybe your, your understanding of prayer is lacking. And that's a great thing because that's why we're here and that's what we're trying to do. Prayer is, is messy. Prayer is, is raw. It's, it's real. It's us coming before our Creator and admitting who we are and, and admiring who He is. It's us coming into His presence and trying to, to, to sort things out. And prayer is this encounter that changes us. It leaves us different because we were there. Now, I don't know if you can describe your prayer life that way. If you can say, my prayer life leaves me different because I had that prayer this morning. Some folks will make comments about prayer and say, well, I, I, I said my prayers before I went to bed. And that soothes them or it makes them think that they've done their duty before God. But, but that's, a, that's a small, immature understanding of what prayer is. Prayer is something that we are to be busy about all day long. Now, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. And, and we get pictures in our mind of, of people who walk around with their eyes closed, bumping into things because they're praying and talking to God all day long. And you go, well, that would be great if I didn't have a job. If I was just a monk in a monastery, I could just pray all day long. But that's not reality. I have a job that I have to go to, and I have food to earn for my family. And, and, and praying without ceasing is just not possible for me. Well, it may not be possible built upon the definition that you have of prayer, but, but it is possible because prayer is a conversation that we have with God that, that lasts throughout the day. It's a prayer it's, it's a conversation that we have with God that, that leaves us changed because in that conversation we have come into the presence of God. And, and reality is this. You don't come into the presence of God and remain the same. You, you can't. Isaiah, when he went into the temple, and in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, it describes that great encounter. And he went into the temple and the, and the presence of God's train filled that place and and, and, and Isaiah stands before the Lord and, and the foundations of the temple are being shaken and, and, and there's just this presence of God there. And from that moment forward, Isaiah was changed. He was transformed because he had been in the presence of God. There's a lot of things that took place. There was worship and there was a recognition of sin and there was, a, there was this repentance and then there was this call and there was all these elements that, that took place in that encounter with God. But, but guys, listen, prayer is meant to be this encounter with God that leaves us change it leaves us transformed sometimes that transformation is greater and, and sometimes it's lesser but but there's always something that takes place in, in in prayer something god intends to take place in prayer that that will forever leave us changed and i want us to, to kind of expand on our our idea of what prayer is and and i want you to understand that prayer is this encounter with god that leaves us changed biblical prayer godly prayer Full-grown prayer involves both worship, but, but also wrestling. 
You ever thought about that way? It, it, it's worship. But it's also this struggle with God as I'm trying to, to, to have my mind conform to the mind of Christ, as I'm trying to process what God's doing and why God's doing it and, 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 and why answers don't come as fast as I want them to come or they don't come in the way that I want them to come or the answer is not exactly what I want for it to be. And we have this wrestling that goes on in our, in our mind. And so, so prayer is worship at times where we just get before the Lord and we just worship God and that's part of prayer. But prayer is also this wrestling with who is God and why does he operate the way that he operates and why does he do things the way that he does things and, and, and why is it that, that sometimes he answers this way and sometimes he answers that way and why is it sometimes he answers quickly and other times he leaves me in the midst of, of my trial and, 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 and it just drags on and on and on and, 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 and there's this wrestling that takes place in prayer because prayer is messy and it doesn't always happen the way that we want it to at the pace that we want it to so prayer is 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 worship but it's also wrestling prayer is is raw and it's real it's me coming before the lord with nothing hidden and coming before the lord like we talked about last week where you say lord every 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 room in my life is open to you that's raw. It's saying you can look at the depths of my heart, God, and you can search me and know me. You can reveal the wickedness to me so that I can begin to deal with that and I can begin to process that. Lord, you can show me where I doubt and where you want to grow faith. You can, you can show me where I'm, I'm sinning and you want to change that. You can show me in, in areas where I don't believe, but you want to create belief. And, and, and it's this rawness before God to where I say, Lord, I'm not going to pretend in prayer. You see, for me, for a long time, prayer was me thinking that I had to come before God and convince God that I had it all together. God, I've got the faith that I need when I really didn't have the faith that I need. God, I, I've got, I got the answers and I've got the trust and I've got the confidence in you when at times my confidence in God was shaken and, and, and it wasn't real. It wasn't honest. It was this thing that I thought God wanted to hear. And I come into his presence telling him what I think he wants to hear. But raw and real is two sides of prayer that, that we've got to, to somehow find that balance for where I can be real before God and, 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 and it gets raw because I am real before God and there's nothing hidden from his sight. Uh, prayer involves hurt, but it also involves healing. It's coming to God and crying out to God and, and, and saying like we would see in the book of Job, if you read through the book of Job, where Job says, if all of my sorrows and all of my grief and all of my anguish was placed on the scales, it would weigh more than all the sand of the earth. It's hurt. God, I'm dying, and you're not answering, and I don't know where you are, and I don't know what's going on, but I know you're real, and I know you're there. And, 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 and we find Job finding healing through that prayer, but it's, it's hurt being processed through prayer. And then healing coming as a result of that process, of, as a result of those prayers. It's, it's, it's hurt, and yet it's healing. It's this, it's this yes and this no. It's just all this stuff that we're trying to juggle back forth. And, 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 and prayer sometimes contains confusion. God, I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why you're allowing this. I don't know why I've got to go through this. I don't know what you're trying to say to me. It's confusion. God, I'm confused. I'm, 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 not, 
I'm not clear. And then it's God revealing and bringing clarity in the midst of that confusion. And that leaves us changed because I come in confused and I walk out with some clarity. Prayer is a, a searching and it's also a finding. It's an asking and a receiving. It's all of these different dimensions of it. And many times we get out of balance and, and we see prayer as one side of this equation but not the other side. We see it as, as, as you know, we, we kind of shape it the way that we like it. And you go, well, I, I like this part of prayer, so I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to do that part. And then I like this part, but I'm not going to do that part. And it's a balance of those things. And it's, it's coming into the presence of God and saying, God, I'm, I am confused and I do need clarity. I don't know what's going on and, and, and I'm angry and I need to find peace. It's coming from God, coming before God and saying, God, I want to know you. And I want you to know me. I, I want to know and I want to be known. I want to seek and I want to find. I want to lay out my hurts and I want to find your healing. I have unbelief and I need you to replace that with solid concrete belief. It's both sides of this equation and we see all of these things in the, in the story of, of Job in, in the Old Testament. If you've got your Bible, the book of Job is right before Psalms. Psalms are kind of in the middle of the, book, the Bible if you want to look that up and kind of follow along. And I'm going to do more of telling the story than I am going to be reading the story. But there's going to be some times that we stop and kind of look at a passage and see what happens. And if you've read the book of Job, you know the story that Job is an upright man who walks before God. He's blameless in his time. He is a man who, who has uh, ten children and those kids get together from time to time and they party and they drink and they eat and they feast and they do all these things, and Job's so worried that his kids are going to offend God that after they finish all their party, and guess what he does? He goes and he sacrifices before God, and he intercedes for his kids before God. That's how righteous Job is. He was the wealthiest man of his day. He, he, he was wealthier than, than any. Job had it all, and, and the Bible says that there's this encounter between Satan and God, and, and, Satan, and, and God says to Satan, well, Satan, I've got this guy, Job, and he is just righteous, and he is pure, and he is holy, and he is, he's the dude. And Satan says, well, the only reason that Job loves you, God, is because you've given him all this stuff. And, and I love what it says in Job chapter 1. It, it says uh, in verse 9, does, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put this hedge around him? Now, this is, these are things that God does. Have you not put a hedge around Job and his household and everything that he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land? But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. Here's what Satan's saying. The only reason Job loves you, God, is because you've given him everything. If everything were to be taken away from Job, he would curse you to your face. And God says, no, he won't. I know Job. He won't. And so everything is allowed to be taken away from Job. And we, list, we read the story and think, man, that's not fair, God. I mean, you gave him all this stuff, and now you're going you're gonna to take away all of his livestock, all of his animals. You're going to take away his children. All you're going to leave him is his wife. And everything is taken away from Job. And Satan says, if you take it away, he will curse you to your face. And we see in chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, Job's response when everything 
is taken away. In the story, the, the messengers come and say, this has just happened, you've lost all that. This has just happened, you've lost all that. This has just happened, and you lost and everything in just a moment's time. One servant after another after another shows up, and everything that Job had, all of his possessions, all of his blessings from God, are gone. And in verse 20, chapter 1, it says, At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in what? Worship. Let me, let me just be honest. If I just lost everything I had, worship would probably be the last thing on my mind. And yet it was the first thing on, on, on Job's heart. He falls before the Lord. He tears his robe. There's great grief. He shaves his head. It's a sign of mourning. He, he falls to the ground in worship, and he says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. God could do as God pleased, Job said. Guys, I don't have that kind of faith. But Job did. And God knew what was there in, in Job's heart. And, and God knew that this would be the response that Job would, would exhibit. And he would show that, that this is who he is. Round two, Satan comes back and says, well, God, that's because, you know, it's, it's, it, you just took stuff. But, but, but God, if you make his life miserable, flesh for flesh, it, it, when a man is hurting and aching and, and he's in great pain, he will do anything. He will curse God to find relief. And God gives Satan permission to strike Job, but not to take his life. And these great big boils come up on his skin all over his body, and the Bible says that he takes pottery, sharpens it, and begins to just lance the boils. They're hurting so bad. His misery is terrible. And we read this story, guys, and we go, what is God doing to this one that he loves, to this one that, that's, that's godly and holy and righteous. And why do bad things like that happen to good people? And, and we read this story. Can you imagine living this story? We read it and we get to read the whole thing in one sitting and go, oh, okay, happy ending, that's great. Make a good Disney movie. Can you imagine living this out? You're trying to walk before God. You're trying to live before God. You're trying to walk in uprightness, even to the point that you're not just worried about your own sins, but you're sacrificing for your kids. Job is going to recount through the book all that he's done for the orphans and the widows and the poor and the neglected and, and the needy in his town, all the different things that he has done for, for, to bring glory to God, sharing his wealth, sharing all the blessings that God's given him. Job is an upright, godly guy. And these terrible things are happening to him, and he's not given... The, 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 the vision that we are. He's just left in the dark working through this. And those boils pop up. And Job is in excruciating pain. And then you insert into the story three friends, right? Three friends who go with the right motive. We are just going to go and sit with Job, share his grief, encourage him and walk with him that's what we're going to do before the friends can arrive the wife is like job how much more of this can you take how much more of this can we bear why don't you just curse god and die and that's one option many people 
take that option. When things begin to go bad, when things do not occur the way that they think is fair and is right, when they see God as disappointing them and letting them down or neglecting them or turning his back on them, many people at that moment turn their back on God and they say, if this is the kind of God that, that, that there is in this world, then I have no need for that kind of a God. I think suffering separates the men from the boys, the real from the pretenders. I really do. And, and Job is a guy that's real, and he's honest before God, and, and, and he's, he's, he's in great pain. And his wife says, won't you just curse God and die? Verse 10, chapter 2, he replies, he says, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. So his friends show up, and we know that these guys were miserable counselors. Now listen, here, here's the thing about his friends I want you to grab. What his friends share with him would have come straight out of the church building. Job, you're suffering? You, you better check your heart. Maybe you're sinning against God. You better check your life. You, you better look deep and make sure there's not something that goes, God's ticked at you, Job. He's coming after you, man. And you better, you better find that sin. You better confess that sin and get right with God because it, it's only going to get worse. And that's the theology in a lot of churches. That was the theology in the Old Testament. You do good, God blesses you. You do bad, God's going to take it away. And that was the, the theology of the day. That theology is still prevalent a lot in Christianity today, by the way. And Job says, guys, I'm, to my knowledge, I haven't sinned. To my knowledge, I'm, I'm not rebellious. To my knowledge, I'm, I'm clinging to God. He's my only hope. He's, my, he's everything to me. And I, and I don't think I've sinned. And I, and, and I see this, this, this thing begin to unfold. And, and here's where the story of Job really changed for me. Is when I read through it this time. I read it as Job's wrestling with God. Him talking to God. Always before he would say to his friends, well, I said to the Lord, and I'm saying to the Lord, and I'm begging God, and I'm telling God. That's Job's prayer. He's revealing to his friends his, his prayer. This is what I'm asking God, and, 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 and he's going before God and saying, God, I don't understand. And he's going before God sometimes angry and saying, God, I just wish you'd let me come into your presence, present my case, and then you tell me what you're doing. You go, surely Job wouldn't have talked to God like that. Yes, he did. If I could just get a hearing before God and I could just present my case to God, I could show that I'm innocent. You say, wow. But God's prayer is a wrestling in the presence of God. When you read through the book of Job, what you see Job doing is, is laying out his heart before God. He's dying. He's, he's saying things before God that you and I probably would never venture to say. And, and in chapter 6, verse 2, and just real quick, this is not going to be on your screen, but it says, if only all my anguish could be weighed and all my misery placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sin of the sea. Job's being real and saying, my, my hurt is, is great. And through this book, what you see again and again and again with Job is this. Worship and wrestling. Worship and wrestling. And Job says, I've cried out to God and he won't answer me. I've asked him for help and he just seems to be quiet. I've asked him to relieve me and, and, and nothing seems to be changing. Yet, I'm going to 
worship him with everything I've got. Yet, I'm going to cling to him because he is my life. Yet, and, and you see this wrestle and this worship back and forth and back and forth all the way through this book. You see him calling out to God and saying, God, just, just give me a breakthrough. Just help me to understand. Help me to see. And all the way through this story of, of Job, it, the, the book is not just written to, to, to be looked at theologically and go, well, let's see, why did God allow... This is a story of real, raw prayer. Where an individual who is going through great struggles is laying everything before God. And at times he's angry, he's confused. At times he doesn't understand, and none of the time does he understand what God's doing and why God is, is allowing these things to happen. But he is, he is convinced of this, that his God sits on the throne. And in a moment's notice, his God could change everything. And that for whatever reason, God's chosen not to do that yet. But praise be to my God, he says. His friends keep hammering one after the other after the other. Job, there's got to be something wrong with you, Job. There's, there's got to be something that, that you've done wrong. Job, surely, surely, surely. Just admit to God. Chapters 3 through 37 are these friends who just continue to hammer. Now, here's what his friends did. It's interesting. The first seven days they arrived. So they don't even recognize Job. He's so covered in boils and cut up from, from relieving the, the, the boils. They don't even recognize Job. And for the first seven days, they just sit in the ashes silently. Probably the best thing they did in the whole story was just to be there and to be quiet. But then, like us, that quietness gets uncomfortable. Do you realize that sometimes the most difficult thing in prayer is just being quiet before God? But they got uncomfortable with the quietness, and so they began to lecture him. Here's what you need to hear. Job, I'm wiser. You used to be the wise man. Now you're a fool. Everybody used to, to hang on every word that Job spoke. And now they won't give Job the time of day. When Job would walk into the room, it says the younger men would move out of the way. The older men would rise in, in, in great honor because Job had arrived. And now Job was the laughingstock of everyone. He was a guy whose business failed. He was a guy whose, whose lifelong investment was wiped away because he must have done something to tick God off because that doesn't just happen. And yet Job keeps saying, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I, I haven't done these things that you're saying. And what makes it worse is this, that even in his prayers, God seems to be silent. I was thinking about this last night as I was going to bed. In the silence that we see from God, from chapters 3 to chapter 37, God is being quick to listen, slow to speak, and thank God, slow to get angry. In prayer, guys, we need to know that we can come before God and be real about what we're feeling. 
be honest about the hurt and the confusion and the pain and, 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 and even our discouragement. We can, we can be real before God knowing that God's going to be quick to listen. Quick to listen. But God will speak. So for 3 to 37, God is silent. And Job's friends attack, and Job pours out these things before God. And, and basically what Job is saying, if I could just get God's attention, if I could just get him to, to, to come here and sit down face-to-face, man-to-man with me, then we could have a discussion, and I could prove my innocence. And then we see in chapter 38 that God shows up. Here's the encounter that Job had hoped for, and yet it was nothing like Job thought it would be. Look in chapter 38 with me if you've got your Bible. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. So here's this storm, this whirlwind, one version says. And God shows up. And he shows up in a powerful way. And Job must be thinking, finally God is here. I can present my case. And the reality is Job is left speechless in the presence of God. Let me just read to you a few things. I, I, I can't read the three chapters of, of what he says here because it takes us all day, but, but get a feel for what God's about to do. God shows up, verse 1. Verse 2, he says, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Uh-oh, Job. Verse 3, Job, brace yourself like a man. I, God, will question you and then you will answer me. Job, I've listened. I've listened for 34 chapters, Job. Not that there were chapters, but I've listened a long time, Job. I've heard your complaint, every word of your cry. I've, listen, is that encouraging to you, though, that God hears every cry? I've listened, Job. You're, you're coming to my counsel, and, and, and you're pretending that you know more than I do. Who is this one that enters into my, and darkens my counsel and your words are without knowledge? You don't know what you're talking about, Job. You don't understand. Your understanding is finite. Mine is infinite. Scripture says the foolishness of God is still wiser than the wisest of men. Job, brace yourself. I'm fixing to ask you some questions. And then I expect an answer. Here we go. Where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, Job. Come on. Give me the answer. Who stretched the measuring line across it? Or or what were its footings set? Uh, Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and and all the angels shouted for joy. Oh, boy, here we go. Buckle your seatbelt, Job. We're about to get started. Where were you when I created? Oh, surely you got an answer, Job. Come on. When when I stretched out the earth, when I planned it all, when I set it on its footings, when I did all of this, Job, where were you then? And Job is thinking in his heart, what did I get myself into? You ever been there in prayer where you're being real before God and all of a sudden God shows up and he shows you yourself? And you go, oh, man, I don't like what I'm seeing. God says, Job, here here I am, 
And um, where are you? I'm God, Job, and yeah, you're not. And I set this world in motion and I sustain it. Not you. And he goes through this chapter 38, chapter 39, question after question after question for Job. And he's asking Job, Job, where were you when I did all this? And, 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 and can you answer me? And can you, can you give me an answer? And then in verse 18, he says, have you comprehended the vast expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Verse 21, surely you know, for you were already born, right? You, you've lived so many years. You've been around as long as I have, Job, right? And there's no answer that Job can give. Chapter 40, God continues these questions. It says, and the Lord said to Job, will, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Job, you're you going to straighten me out? You're going to tell me where I've messed up in this process? Are you going to correct me and say that, that I'm wicked, that I'm, that I'm wrong? Let him who accuses God now answer God. And here's the first response we get from Job in the midst of this questioning. Verse 3, the Job, then Job answered the Lord. And he says, I am unworthy. How, how can I reply to you, Lord? You know what he's saying? I'm speechless, God. I've accused you, and I'm wrong. I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Yeah, I spoke once, but I've got no answer twice but i will say no more this first exchange with god god saying job you think you're so smart and you think you've got all these things figured out and, and you are a wise man one of the wisest of your days but job compared to me you don't hold a candle compared to me job you you don't know and Job says, Lord, I spoke out of turn. I accused you wrongly. And I'm just going to put my hand over my mouth. And I'm going to stay quiet for a while. I, I can't speak a word. I'll say no more. And God says, it's probably smart, Job. It's probably smart. Because when we get this glimpse of who God is, sometimes we just are speechless. Let me, let me ask you this. Is that a picture of your prayer life? Where you're coming into the presence of God and you get a glimpse of God and you're left speechless? You're left in awe, you're left going... thought I knew but I didn't and I thought I had God in this little box but he doesn't fit does your prayer life leave you speechless sometimes in the presence of God it, it did for Job but guys 
God was just getting started. He wasn't through. Job wanted to be in the presence of God, and he wanted to hear from God. He was hearing an earful. And here in chapter 40, verse 6, it says, The Lord spoke out of the storm to Job again. Verse 7, that same thing. Brace yourself like a man, Job. I'm going to question you, and you will answer me. And now God goes after the fact that Job said, This is unjust. This is not right. This is not fair. Would you just credit my justice? Are you saying I'm unjust, Job? Because I gave and I took away? Are you saying I'm unjust because of what I let happen to you? And some of us, as we read the book of Job, would say, yes, that's what I'm saying. Exactly what I'm saying. How could God do this? But he says to Job, would you discredit me? Verse 9, do you have an arm like God? And can your voice thunder like his? And then you adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty? Job, are you anything like me? And the answer would be, no, Lord, I'm, I'm not. I'm not at all. And God continues to go through all these things that God is able to hold in his hands that Job is not even able to touch. And God finishes at the end of chapter 41. And here's the summation of the book, guys, right here. 42, verse 1. Then Job replied, to the Lord. Here's what an encounter, a true encounter in prayer will do. Now listen, you understand this, this encounter that Job's having is not a 30-minute prayer session, right? This is a, an ongoing prayer that he's having over a long period of time with God because this struggle is real and all he knows to do is to call unto God. And he's calling unto God with the knowledge that he had at that moment, hoping that God's going to give him more knowledge. And, and y'all, to be honest with you, that's the best that we can do in prayer is we come before God with the knowledge that we have at this moment, hoping and praying for an encounter with God that gives us more understanding and more knowledge, more of an encounter that leaves us changed. And so Job comes to God with the knowledge that he's got, realizing that he needs some more because this doesn't make sense. And that's what prayer is. It's coming before God saying, God, here's, here's what I think I need. Here's what I think I'm, I'm, I'm after. Here's what I really think that if you could do this, then, then life would get better. And in that process, God may reveal something more of himself to us that says, you know what, I know more now than I did then. 42 verse 1, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted, God. God, you, you, you ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Remember that first question? Who is it that darkens my counsel with, with, without knowledge? You ask that, God, I, I've got the answer now. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. How does Job know? that he spoke about things he didn't understand because now he understands better. He thought he knew, but now he really knows. He thought he knew all that he could about God, but now he realizes there was more that I needed to know. And now I have more. 
Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things that were too wonderful for me to know. You said, God, listen now, and I will speak, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Well, Lord, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Can you just let that sink in for just a minute? My ears had heard about you, God. But you took it to a whole other level. Now my eyes have seen. It's not just hearsay anymore. It's not just words in a book anymore. There was an encounter that took place here, God. And I'd heard the stories of old about who you were, and I believed those, and they were all part of, of this. But God, now it's, it's this. I, I had heard about you, but now I've seen you. I've experienced you. I've encountered you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and in ashes. Job wrestled and he worshiped, and it left him forever changed. Lord, I thought I knew, but I realized I really didn't. I'd heard about you but now I've encountered you felt like I deserved an answer God and I realized that you are my answer you are my everything you're my God and and I repent of my arrogance of my charges of my demands I repent. Today I want you to grab this, guys. If if you have a prayer life that is just pristine and you just come and, and, and it's just all nice and neat and, and there's no wrestling, something's missing. Because the things that God does they, they don't fit our human thinking. And God wants us to, to wrestle with him. It's not a bad thing. In Genesis chapter 32, Jacob wrestled with God. Remember that story? He's about to meet his brother Esau, and man, he's having a tough time, and he's trying to figure out how am I going to keep Esau from killing me? And he divides his camp into two groups, thinking, well, if he attacks, he's going to kill one, but at least I'll keep half of my goods. And I'm going to put the, the, the gifts way ahead and then the, the women, and I'm just going to, I'm going to appease my brother. And it says he went off by himself that night and he prayed. And an angel of the Lord came, and Jacob wrestled with that angel. Jacob would interpret that as wrestling with God. 
And they wrestle all night long, Scripture says. And when daybreak was there, the, the angel says to him, let me go. And he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And this question was asked of Jacob. What's your name? That's like a stupid question in the middle of this wrestling match. What's your name? You know why I ask him that question? Do you know what the name Jacob means? Deceiver, tricker, liar. God says to Jacob, who are you, boy? And Jacob says, I'm a liar. I'm a tricker. I'm a thief. And God says this, not anymore. Changing your name to Israel. The one who wrestles with God, that's what that name means. From that day forward, Jacob was a different man. The Bible says he walked, the, that the angel touched his hip socket and he walked with a limp the rest of his life. He was forever marked, ever changed by that encounter with God, where God changed him and left him with a limp to remind him of that encounter and to remind all of Israel. It says the Israelites wouldn't even eat the tendon that's connected to the hip because they knew that was a place that God touched and that was holy. And they, they, we're not doing that. We're not eating that. In our wrestling with God, God asks us this question. Who are you? What do you call yourself? How do you see yourself? And we have to come to grips with who we are. And it's in those moments that God forever changes our identity. Changes who we are. This is real prayer. Again, it's not figuring out the right tokens to put in some vending machine that God will pop out everything you asked for. It is about coming before God raw and real and saying, God best I understand, I'm going to approach you. As best I understand, we're going to have a conversation. But God, I come wanting more of you. I come wanting you, God, to show me more of you so that when we leave this conversation, I'm different. I'm changed. Job left that conversation with God, that encounter with God, different. You know how we know that? It says he repented he had a change of mind that's what repentance means to change your mind to change your heart and that's what he did through prayer go back i'm telling you what this this is so good just take this week and in your quiet time read through the book of job now if you don't want to read the whole thing just read job's conversation with god his complaints before God, his wrestling with God, his charges against God, his worship of God. Read the, the you know, when it says, and Job said, read that, just read that part. If you don't read the whole book, just read that part and see how through this whole book, Job is just wrestling with God. And then for God to come to Job and say, Job, listen, 
This is who I am. And by the way, Job never got the whole story, did he? God doesn't say, okay, Job, listen, it was just this poker match between me and Satan. He doesn't give him the whole story. Job's living it, just like you and I are living through difficult days, trials, tribulations, things that we may not fully understand. And Satan is saying to us, you're a failure. You used to be great, and now you're nothing. You used to have this, and now you don't. You used to, and now... And Satan comes, and he just bombards us with all these things. And the best thing that we can do at that moment is to come back before our God and say, God, I know, or at least I think I know, who you are. You are good. Trust him. And to watch God show up. Now, when God shows up, you're going to be changed. And you're going to walk with a limp to remind you of that moment in that encounter with God. That's what prayer is supposed to be. It's supposed to be this divine encounter with God that forever reshapes our thinking, remakes who we are, that leaves us forever changed. And so the, the question that's asked at the beginning of the book of Job, in Job chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Satan asks the question, is there a man who can love you without all the stuff that you give him? That can just love you, God, just for you, without all the window dressings, without all the blessings, without all, without all the stuff. Is, there, is it possible for a man to love you just because you're God? And Job answers that question, doesn't he? And the answer is yes. Yes. I wonder how you and I would answer that question. If everything we have is stripped away, and all that's left is you and God, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your loss, in the midst of the catastrophe that could come, is God enough? If he is, we will run to him every day, on the good days as well as the bad. We will run to him in worship, and we will run to him to wrestle we will run to him when it's real and we will run to him when it's raw. We will run to him with our questions and we will find in him our answers. If he is really who we say and who the Bible says that he is, there ought to be something inside of us that just says, I just got to get back with God. He is my life. He is my breath. He is my everything. And I just need to be with him because when I'm with him, all things will be made right. Even if nobody else understands it. And even if my friends and my family, like Job's friends and his family, can't figure it out, that's because the God that we serve is too big to be figured out. Let me caution you. If you want a God big enough for you to figure him out, you're settling for a God way too small. So let's do this. As we spend our time alone with the Lord this week, let's be real. 
Let's be honest. Let's wrestle with our shortcomings. Let's wrestle with our lack of understanding. Let's wrestle with these things that, that sometimes we just don't want to touch because we don't think we can handle those. But it's in that wrestling that we encounter God. And guys, it's, remember the, the story that Mary Lynn did for us? The story about the, the lady, with, lady with the bleeding disorder? And bleeding for years and years. And she thought to herself, if I can just get to Jesus, and if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. You know what she's saying? I just want to take hold of Jesus. We just need to take hold of Jesus. But realize this, you're going to get a tiger by the tail. Okay? It'd be worth it. But let's, let's worship. Let's wrestle. Let's say to God, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go. You're my life. You're my everything. This is the kind of prayer we're talking about, guys. Not some way to manipulate God to get what you want but a way to come into his presence and say, I am yours, and in my limited understanding, I'm going to worship you as best I know how, and I'm going to wrestle with you until you give me greater insight. But God, I'm, I'm coming to you because you're all I've got, and you're all that can satisfy my heart. So I'm yours, and everything I have is yours, and we're going to do this together. Right. Let's pray together.